All right, so on this uh, third Sunday of Advent, we're going to spend some time, again, looking at um, this woman named Ruth. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have read through the book of Ruth or are familiar with the book of Ruth? Okay, looks like just about everybody. Uh, what, let me just ask you this question before we jump in. Let's do this quickly. Um, when you think about the book of Ruth, what are some themes that sort of stick out to you? That just right off the top of your head. What are some themes? Not about you? Yeah, she's selfless, right? What else? Good. Loyal? What else? Just in time. Yeah, what else? Couple more. Immigration, okay? What else? One more? Okay, loss and restoration. Yeah, and so what's, what's so intriguing to me about um, the story of Ruth are, are the characters in the story, honestly, and, and the hand of God's providence that we see um, that's working in the book of Ruth. They're, they're, like, it's happening in the lives of normal, everyday, ordinary people. And you see, whether you know this or not, like, like I, I, what we want to make very clear before we jump in is that the people that we're going to read about in this story, um, they are just average folks who are, are trying to navigate life in a very, very broken world. So the book of Ruth uh, only mentions um, God a handful of times, but here's the thing. Make no mistake that he is present and he is at work in and through all of this, in all of the ordinary places, in all of the things that are happening, in all the events that are happening, and especially in the people. All right, so I'm going to read beginning in, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, uh, and then I'm going to stop and we're going to kind of talk about it a little bit. We're going to read all through Ruth, but we're going to just do some select passages. But beginning in verse 1, it says this, During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. This man's name was Elimelech, and and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites um, from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered to the fields of Moab Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her two sons took Moabite women as their wives, one named Orpah, and the other was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Now, who said loss? Chris said loss. That's, That's a bad season of life, right? Chapter 1, not only that, chapter 1 gives us the context for the time period in which this story um, is set. It says during the time of the judges. And now if you remember, uh, if you're reading through the CBR a month or so ago, we were, we were walking through the book of Judges. And it's not, I mean, so, so Judges is not a feel-good Hallmark card read, right? It is gut-wrenching, uh, honestly. And if you, if you flip back, if you're in the book of Ruth, flip back one page and this sort of sums it up. Flip back one page and, and look at verse 25, the last verse in the book of Judges. It says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did whatever seemed right to him. That's the context for this story that's just plucked right out of the center of this story. And so the story of, of Ruth set in the time of Judges is a time where there was no king and everyone did what is right in their own eyes. Now, you can imagine what that even looked like. 
without even reading the book of Judges, right? It's bad, y'all. And so this story of joy, um, and it is a story of joy, it blossoms out of this desert of mass murder and sexual immorality and violence and abuse and chaos. These verses that we just read are telling the story about a man who is in dire circumstances, who seeks to provide for his family. There's this impromptu move that ends in just disaster. There's marriage, there's death, and there's sorrow, and there's grief. And and we'll end up reading about shame and bitterness and hard work, and then we'll also read about some romance, and and then there's a harvest, and then there's joy. And so um, what we we don't feel, I think, in the 21st century reading reading this account is the shock and awe that that they would have that would have been felt by hearing an Israelite family who lived in Bethlehem to move from Bethlehem to this country of Moab. You see, Israelites and Moabites had this long history of hating one another. I'm not going to get into all that. A specific thing to note here is that um, Moabite women had a reputation for, seduce, for seducing Hebrew men and, and, and causing them to abandon their own God and religious practices for foreign gods which brings us to the main character of the book. This outsider in the eyes of, of I mean, any Israelite reading this is going to hear this story and say, Ruth is the outsider. A woman who were introduced into these aforementioned verses, this, this Moabite woman named Ruth. And, and I want to bring some weight to this. And so I want to take about 30 seconds and turn to the person that's sitting beside you. And here's the question I want you to, I, I want you to answer. What are some things that come to mind that make someone an outsider? All right, turn to your neighbor. Say, this is what comes to mind when I think of somebody being an outsider. Go. All right, about 10 more seconds. All right, what are some things that you heard that come to mind when you think of the word outsider? Go ahead. What'd you hear? Excluded? Being different? Don't know anyone? They look different? Play on that. Look different? What else? Unsociable? Yeah, they're, they're you know, considered unsociable or they're by themselves. What else? Don't speak our language? Yeah, what else? Say that. Say that again. Brian, say that again. Sorry. Financial status. Somebody said something else. Poor and homeless. What else? Dress differently. Different skin color. Socioeconomic status. May said that. Cultural norms. Religious practices. On and on and on and on. And so here's the thing. What, what we're, what's going to be difficult for us as we dive into this story, um, that, that it, as we dive into the story, what's going to be difficult is that we know the end of the story, right? And so, yes, the book of Ruth is this love story. Yes, it is this. But, but, but it, it's really easy to miss the way that this woman, Ruth, would have been perceived by 99% of the Israelite people that she met. 
Now, we're going to get there in a second, how she met him. Um, But in this time period, and by large in our context, an outsider is typically someone that is distrusted or maybe even dangerous, right? The outsider is the person that we are, quote, allowed to be suspicious of. The cultural norm of the Israelites is to be extremely guarded against everyone who is different from them. And so we're not going to read the entire story, like I said, but it is interesting that the writer doesn't want us forget to forget that Ruth is a Moabite. Almost every time Ruth is mentioned in this story, it says the Moabite Ruth, Ruth the Moabite, or the Moabite woman. Like, don't miss, the author of the story does not want us to miss that Ruth is an outsider that no one expects anything good to come from. But early on, we see something about Ruth that stands out. And the only reason that we are able to hear this story is because Naomi is living in proximity to Ruth. You see that? She's been living with her for about 10 years, and Naomi has has endured grief, and she's endured loss with Ruth in the land of Moab. And so when you open yourself up, and here's just a, just a point I want to make. When you open yourself up to walk through these kind of things with others, it allows you to humanize one another, right? Naomi catches wind of the famine, and Bethlehem is over. And so she, she seeks to, I mean, she's lost everything in her mind, and she, 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 she seeks to return home. Skip down to verse 8. Naomi says this to her daughters-in-law. She says, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant you the rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them and wept loudly. They said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do, why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have more sons um, who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you be willing to wait and, them, and for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. Verse 16, but Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. Now listen to what Ruth says to Naomi. This is beautiful. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, she answered. The Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, 
recap the life of Naomi here. She's watched her husband die. She's watched her two sons marry Moabite women, which likely would have caused some friction um, or, or because of the rift between Israelites and Moabites. The wives of her sons have not been able to conceive children. That's kind of implicit in the text since they don't have kids, right? She doesn't have any grandchildren. On top of all that, now she's living in a foreign land with these two Moabite women who are her daughters-in-law. And, and here's the thing. Have you ever just been walking through a season of life where it seems that everything is just difficult? Like nothing is going right. Grief and sorrow are overpowering. And, and here's the thing. We are tempted to believe that our grief is going to infect or maybe even ruin the people who are around us, don't we? We do what Naomi did. We, we tell those who are closest to us to go away. There's only sorrow here. We see this. It's like that old yeller thing. We're just throwing the rocks, you know? She's saying, like, like it is, there's only sorrow here. Um, and, and she lists out all these ways where it's absolutely no good for them to continue to be with her. Um, and she says, Orpah, Ruth, I can't give you this. I can't give you that. It's best to leave me now. Go back to your families. Take other Moabite men and have kids. And after these women have all shed tears together, Orpah kisses her mother-in-law and goes back to her family and back to her gods. But Ruth, like, get this and underline this, your scriptures, man. She clung to Naomi clung to her. Ruth attached herself to this guilt-stricken, I mean, grief-stricken, sorrowful woman, this bitter woman, Naomi, and she gives us these beautiful words that illustrate the heart level in which she clung to Naomi. She says, where you go, Naomi, I will go. Where you live, that's where I'm going to live. Your people, I want to be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. That's where I want to be buried. My, may Lord, the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything separates us but death. Isn't that beautiful? Like when you hear those words, what goes on in your heart? When I, when I hear these words um, spoken by Ruth the outsider, I think living this out is going to cost this woman, Ruth, everything she has. Everything she has. Tim Keller says about this verse that what, what, what she's saying is I'm leaving everything behind and I'm opening myself up to the anything that's to come because of her love for Naomi. Ruth could have returned, be married, become the wife of another, and lived a happy life. But the outsider Ruth, who likely has everything going for her in the land of Moab, by the way, she's an insider in Moab, right? She lays all that aside in order to attach herself to the bitter, sorrowful woman and to leave her home, a place where everything is familiar, to go to a place where nothing is familiar, not the customs, not the laws, not the religion. She lays all that aside and vows to walk alongside the hurting. And in this vow, Ruth is saying, I am with you, Naomi. Your sorrow is my sorrow. Your grief is my grief. Your family is my family. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you will die, I will die with you. That's not an easy road, family. When they arrive back at Bethlehem, everyone recognizes Naomi. They're happy to see her, and she quickly says, no, 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 cut all that out. I've changed my name. You need to know what's happened to me. Don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant in Hebrew. And she says, my name is now Mara. It means bitter. 
She says this, the, the, the Almighty's hand is against me. Do not call me pleasant, call me bitter. I left Bethlehem full, but I've returned empty. And, and this is a parenthetical thought. Did she leave Bethlehem full? I mean, they left because there was a famine. What Naomi's saying is that in her bitterness and grief, <laughs> here, and so this is hitting some of y'all today, like in, in her bitterness and in her grief, she cannot fathom how life could ever be good again. Because all this has happened, I cannot fathom, after all that's happened to me, how life could even be worth living anymore. End of chapter one, we're told that they arrived back at Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. So indeed, the famine is over, and it's time for crops to be gathered. Here's how chapter two begins. Verse, chapter two, verse one says this. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Now stop there, just a couple things. First, the introduction to Boaz, that's, uh, that's foreshadowing. Neither Naomi nor Ruth know that she's gonna end up gleaning in the field at Bo- of Boaz. Now we know this because later Naomi's surprised when she finds out whose field Ruth has been gleaning in. And so the second thing is this, Ruth owns no land. How in the world does she figure that she would be able to allow, be allowed to go into someone else's field to gather grain? Well, here's what she knows. No doubt she's heard of Leviticus chapter 19. You see the provision in the law of God. He wrote into this um, in saying, he says, when, he's telling his people how to, how to farm. And he's saying, when you, when you reap the harvest of your land, you're not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings from your harvest. Do not strip the vineyard bare or gather fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. Now, here's, here's what Ruth is showing us. She's showing us when she said, I will make your God my God, that she meant it. She knows Leviticus 19. She knows there's a provision in the law that allows a stranger and foreigner to go into someone's field and to pick up the dropped grain and to glean at the edges of the field. And she's doing that. And here's the thing. God is showing us through his word how he has built um, in this provision and kindness to the outsider family. Blessed people, by God, a blessing to the world. That's a picture of that. And it's here in this field where Ruth is seen and honored um, for her love and commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi. It's where this outsider Ruth catches the eye of the owner of the field, this insider by the name of Boaz. Ruth has no clue who Boaz is. She says, I get to glean from the field, Okay. And Boaz is, 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 comes to her and, 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 and gives her like all this extra grain and she has to ask him, she says, sir, why are you showing me all this favor? And here's what Boaz says about Ruth in, in verse 11. He says, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord re- reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward for the Lord God of Israel Catch this, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And Ruth, she gets all this grain. When Ruth returns home to Naomi, this crazy amount of grain, and she's got um, a takeout box full of roasted grain and some vinegar sauce because they had leftover food. Naomi, when she walks in the door, Naomi is shocked at the amount of, of provision that she has. 
She says, I don't know whose field you happen to end up in today, but whoever it is, he, he blessed you. And so may the Lord bless this man whose field you gleaned in. And Ruth says, yeah, it's some guy named Boaz. And for Naomi, like this is a record scratch moment. You know those, those, those movies, like people are talking and somebody says something and everybody in the restaurant gets silent. This is one of those moments. When Naomi discovers that this man Boaz has shown such favor to Ruth, we see, we see this small picture of her bitterness turn into this little inkling of hope. She recognizes the fact that Ruth wound up in the field of Boaz by, not by, because she, when she left Moab, Ruth had all this planned out that she was going to do all this, right? No. Naomi saw that this was the providence of God. Boaz is a, a kinsman redeemer. Boaz, if he so chooses, could lawfully take Ruth as a wife, and through childbearing, her family line would live on. You see, the, the deepest wound the deepest wound that Naomi was working through was that after she died, there'd be nobody there to carry her family line. Her husband was dead. Sons were dead. Widows were childless. But now, there's this faint glimmer of hope that she recognizes has been orchestrated by God. Naomi sees the favor that Boaz has extended to Ruth, and she instructs Ruth to go to Boaz and say, this is who I am, and ask him. Just clearly ask, will you redeem me? And this is beautiful and scandalous, just so you know. This scene where Naomi says, hey, get all dressed up and put some perfume on. Go at, go at night and hide and wait on everybody to leave. And when Boaz finishes drinking his wine, his heart's going to be merry. He's probably going to lay down and take a nap. Go up to him. Lay beside his feet. And if he wakes up, say, this is, this is who I am. This is what I'm here for. And this response, I mean, you've got this picture of Boaz being startled because there's a woman on the threshing floor. That shouldn't have been happening, let alone laying at his feet. Um, you can do your own research for what all that means. Um, but here's the response. He says, who are you? It's dark. And he says, it is Ruth, your servant. Check this out. You know how Boaz said, may the Lord bless him and take her under the refuge of, of, of the Lord's wing? Boaz said, or she says to Boaz, take me under your wing, for you are my kinsman redeemer. Connection between the blessing that Boaz pronounced over Ruth and what Ruth is saying here. Um, Boaz is saying, may you receive, he says, may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Ruth is saying, cover me in your wing, meaning Ruth is recognizing that Boaz is an agent of God to bring reward and blessing and redemption to her and Naomi. See that? Boaz says, he clearly says, yes, it's true. I am a family redeemer. It is true that you are honorable. And he talks about his love for, and you get all this like, man, the story is about to go great. It's true that I can redeem you. And then you got this, but there is a redeemer who is closer to you than I am. Dun, 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 right? He says, here's what I'm going to do. In order for Boaz to do this correct way, Closer redeemer has to have the opportunity to redeem her first. And so the next day, Boaz, he, he, I love the picture of this. It's almost like Christmas morning, right? He's waiting for the other redeemer, the, the one who's closer, to come in. And he's sitting at the entrance of the city, waiting on the other relative. Boaz, the, the man walks up and Boaz tells the other man, he says, Naomi, your relative owns a field. She's widowed. 
And he says, you are the closest redeemer. Would you want to redeem it? And the man says, he hears land. And he says, absolutely, I'll redeem the field. And then the crafty Boaz says, oh, by the way, just so you know, when you redeem the field, you actually have to take the Moabite Ruth as your wife. And the man says, oh, I can't do that. And here's why, because I'll disrupt my own inheritance. Basically, he says this, the, the other man is looking at the real estate that's involved. Boaz is looking at the woman, right? Boaz sees the woman, Ruth. Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. And this blessing that was spoken over them is so, 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 so good. This is what the people say. The, the, the town says, verse 11 of chapter, I think it's four. It says, all people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in, in Ephrathah and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tam- the son Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, this is huge. This is huge. Who came from the wombs of Rachel and Leah? 12 tribes, right? People in the city of Bethlehem are blessing the outsider Ruth by saying something pretty profound. They're saying the Lord's favor on you, Ruth. May, 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 may the fruit of your womb be like our mothers in the faith. Verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her. She gave birth to a son. The, woman, the, woman, uh, the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. The neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, father of David. Now, do you remember what Ruth said to Naomi in her grief? She said, I will go where you go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Naomi's, Naomi's sorrow was Ruth's sorrow. And, and here, love that picture that says, a son has been born to Naomi. Naomi didn't have a son. Ruth had a son. And Ruth's joy in a son is described as Naomi's joy. Verse 15, may the name of the Redeemer become well-known in Israel. May he renew your life, sustain your life. And this part is such a countercultural statement. Indeed, Ruth, your daughter-in-law who loves you, she's better you than seven sons. She's given birth to this redeemer. And do you see this? Do you see this? The joy of the outsider Ruth becomes the joy of Naomi. This little boy named Obed 
Verse 18, the writer doesn't want us to miss this. He, he doesn't want us to miss this at all. He said, now the family records of Perez, uh, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. The outsider Ruth, the joy of the outsider Ruth, becomes the joy of the entire world, family, is what this story is telling us. Every tragedy from chapter 1 is being reversed and redeemed in chapter 4. See this? In fact, this is the the arc of the entire Bible. Like, we we were all created to live in the presence of God in his fullness. Um, and, And here's the thing. We rebelled and left home because we believed that there was a better way. Every human being since then has been on the outside. Every human being has been on the outside. And we run further and further and further and further and further and further from God to try to find our joy east of Eden. And so if you take a look at the third painting from the right over here, we were um, like, this is, this is um, Emily's painting. I'm sorry, third painting from your left. Um, is that right? Yes. Third painting from your left. Emily Seal, the the artist of these amazing works of art, she says this about her Ruth painting. Notice the colors, the vibrant colors. Here's what she says. In the story of Ruth, I wanted to show the harvest after a season of sorrow. I wanted to show joy after the storm. I wanted to show the shadow of obedience in Ruth that points to Christ on the cross. And here's the thing. We run east of Eden and run and run and run and run um, and try to find joy out there, but God in his grace comes to outsiders. And during Advent, we celebrate the one who, like this woman Ruth, is an even bigger or even better picture of someone who leaves home, who clings not to his own glory, but empties himself of everything in order to enter into the rebellion and brokenness of this cursed land. Jesus, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Ruth's son, Obed, becomes the ultimate outsider in bringing the fullness of joy to the world. Especially those um, who the world has written off as though those people are useless or unsavable or too far gone. We see in the life of Jesus this constant moving toward the margins in order to meet people right where they are. Like, think about the people that you see Jesus moving toward. I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to even make a list without, without seeing some people that we just, we, I mean, we'd see a lot of these people as written off today. Sick, elderly, people that don't look like us or talk like us or think like us. Ruth clings to the bitter Naomi and vows that if she loosens her grip, that death would come to her. Jesus in his sinless life clings to the cross and suffers death he does not deserve so that outsiders through his perfect life can cling to the Father and receive life. How in the world can I even think about life and joy, you may think in this, when at a, at a time when you feel so bitter or so sad or so depressed or f- so on the outside, and the good news is this, we're going to sing it later, a baby has come. Isaiah 35 tells us that a flower blooms in the desert. Jesus Christ, who for the joy that lay before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the cross 
is the way, the ultimate way that outsiders become insiders. The cross is also our reminder that redemption does not stop at us, family. It doesn't stop at us. The verse tells us that Jesus sat down at the right hand, right hand of the Father forever securing this work of redemption. And he promised, as he sat down at the right hand of the Father, he promised to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would work in and through us and bring joy to the world. The psalmist says in Psalm 67 that the idea of God's glory covering the earth is so that the nations would be glad. So that people of every tribe and tongues and nation would, would, would profess him as good and right and perfect and king. And so we join together. Let outsiders, the psalmist is saying, let outsiders be welcomed as family. Why? Because in their joy, we find our joy. That's what the picture of Ruth and Naomi is. The book of Ruth, I, this is something I discovered this week. The, the book of Ruth was often read annually during the Feast of the Weeks. Now, if you know it, we talked about Feast of the Weeks several uh, months back. Feast of the Weeks was this harvest festival. And this picture of the barley harvest that we see in the book of Ruth is, is when, they, when they would, they would, the Feast of Weeks would happen, or some people know it's Pentecost. During Pentecost, family would, families would bring their first fruits, their first crops to Jerusalem to, as a sacrifice to thank God for the harvest that's to come. Well, that's when they would typically, families would read this book of Ruth together. And they'd be reminded that God is, is indeed at work in all, of the, in all of the harvest, right? And so think about, think about this, reading the book of Ruth with that as the backdrop. I don't think it's any accident at all um, that when the church is born, it's when the harvest is being celebrated at, at Pentecost. And, and so like when the Holy Spirit comes and he fills the hearts of 120 people and they poured out um, like of this upper room and they're all testifying to the mighty deeds of God so that everyone can hear them in their own language. And then 5,000 people are added and 3,000 people are added. And then in Acts 5, we read this in DNA the other week and it says, it says that even more were added in Acts 5 than even before. And then you, by the time you get to Acts 8, the gospel has, has gone to the most hated of the day, the Samaritans in their city. The Jews hated them. And what it says about when the gospel goes to Samaria is that there was much joy in that city. Isn't that crazy? Jesus brings joy as far as the curse is found. That's what the, that's what the song tells us what the scriptures tell us. That's what the life of Jesus and the life of the church being born and the life of the disciples and the, li and the, the life of the church ever since has been telling us that, that Jesus brings joy as far as the curse is found. And when outsiders are made insiders, their joy is our joy. And so the questions that we'll think about today as we wrap up are this. Where do you need the good news of Jesus? To wash over you today? Where do you need to cling to Him in order to seek more fullness of joy? Where can you cling to someone who maybe you view as an outsider or who may view themselves as an outsider? Where can you cling to someone recognizing that? Your joy is bound up in their joy. I think that's the picture. When Kyle talked about um, Jeremiah 29 several weeks back, talked about being a display people and 
we, we know this verse, right? It's, it's that verse that tells us that we seek the welfare of the city because in their welfare, like in their peace, we'll find our peace. That's true about joy as well. Joy set before us is knowing that the advent of Jesus is sure and certain. He's promised to come and remove every shadow, every fear, every tear, every sorrow. And that's what we hope for. And until then, he invites us to be reminded through this meal that he's always with us until the end of the age. And so um, Jesus, better Boaz, better Ruth, Jesus invites us to come and to tear off a piece of this bread that we're going we're gonna to see in just a minute and to, to tear off a piece of that bread and to dip it into the cup to be reminded that this perfect body broken for you and that this is his blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. People say of Naomi that the Redeemer will renew and sustain our lives. And Jesus says this. He says to his people, he says, take and eat all of you, that, you, that, that my joy may be in you and your joy will be full. That's the promise of Christ in this meal. He is our ultimate renewal. He is our ultimate sustainer. He is life and he is joy and he is peace right now in our waiting for him to return again. And so as we prepare to come to the table, I'm going to just read these questions one more time for us to reflect on. Where do you need the good news of Jesus to wash over you today? Maybe you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Thank you for being here, by the way. We pray that Jesus would be good news to you. Pray that you would see that he has, he has attached himself to a rebellious people and he is making us new in his life and death and resurrection. He's renewing us and sustaining us by his spirit. Where do you need the good news of Jesus to wash over you today? Where do you need to cling to him in order to seek more of his fullness? Where can you cling to someone who feels maybe like an outsider today? When you think outsider, these are the people that pop into your mind. You ask the Lord to help you with that? Who would you tell about this? And what will you do about it? Let's take time to reflect on those questions and then I'll pray for us.